Man, we love you guys. We're so glad that there was able to be with us. He called me and said, I'm, you know, got room for two more. And I said, absolutely, absolutely. So love them, miss them. Amen. To, uh, today I want to talk to you about, we're just going to title this, The Good News About Submission. Everybody say submission. submission. Now to some people that is a nasty word. It uh, conjures up thoughts of domination and fear and control and all that kind of stuff. But in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul, he's speaking about the church, he says, but he incorporates the, the aspect of the oneness of a husband and a wife. And this is what you hear read a lot at weddings. And uh, if you've you know, hung around church culture, it seems to be one-sided. It seems to be something that the women are supposed to do primarily because it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. That means you don't have to submit to the neighbor's husband. That's at least good news, right, ladies? Just to your own husband. For the husband is the head of the wife, is also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for her. Now, uh, most people love what this says about their spouse. In other words, a wife loves the fact that the husband is supposed to be sacrificial in his love, uh, nourishing, uh, cherishing her, uh, loving her as Christ loves the church. And, um, and if a man, I am guarantee you this, you can be seated. If a man doesn't know any other scripture in the Bible, he knows this one. Come on, ladies. Can y'all get an amen? If a man don't know any other part of the Bible, he knows where it says, woman, you're supposed to submit to me. And a lot of men, unfortunately, have whooped out that verse in the middle of a, let's just say, a discussion with their wives and used it as a weapon and pointed out her non-submission or perceived non-submission. How many knows the women love that when you do that to them? Just love that. Woman, you're supposed to submit. You're not being very submissive. You're not uh, submitting. But uh, I remember when uh, Jill and I got married a long time ago uh, at the rehearsal, and we didn't actually pick out our, our vows. We just let our pastor, you know, handle it and do it. And so the vows, the, the vows were very traditional, and at our rehearsal uh, with the pastor that night, uh, he was going over everything and going through the, the vows uh, with us. And so he got to the part, and we was kind of, as a rehearsal does, we were rehearsing him. And so he got to Jill's part of her vows, and it says that she was supposed to, to respect me and to obey me. And when he said obey, she snatched her head around. <laughs> and she, she said, I, didn't, I don't, I don't want to say that. Uh, she, she didn't, she said, I didn't know I have said, you know, say obey. She said, I know it had to obey in it. And, uh, Pastor Blair said, yeah, you, you, you need to say obey. And, uh, I think she said, didn't you say it in the wedding or did you? Yeah, I think she reluctantly, it was the first sign of non-submission <laughs> by my wife. <laughs> she refused to submit to the vows of obey. Um. What does it really mean to submit? And uh, when you think of submission, the word, 
Uh, and it's a word the Bible uses quite a bit. Uh, it, it actually says in one place that the uh, younger people, younger folk, as they say in the old church, are to submit to the elders, for this is pleasing to the Lord. And it's, that's talking about not elders there in the sense of uh, the elders of a church, but it's talking about, and of course it would include them, but it's talking about just submitting to those that are older uh, because they've lived longer and they've learned a few things. Uh, it also says uh, in another place, submit unto God. Uh, resist the devil in that verse, and he shall do what? He shall flee from us. And so it seems to be that the the key there to to having the, the devil flee from us or to another way of saying it, leave us alone or not bother us is our submission to God. And most people readily accept as a Christian that we should submit to God. Uh, you know, but when we think of the word submission, we, we tend to think of it in terms of American culture. We think about a strong person uh, dominating a weak person. We think about a cage match. Maybe some of us watch these cage matches or these things, and we, we see somebody putting a certain hold on, a, on an opponent, and they finally tap out. They call it tapping out, and they submit. Um, we think about people being just beaten into submission. And, uh, but all that kind of use of the term or, or, or thoughts about the word submission, I want to promise you is not what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote Ephesians 5. And so the question is really, you know, who, who, who are we talking about here? Who is supposed to submit to who? Um, actually, I didn't intentionally read verse 21 because most people skip it. But we just started with verse 22 where it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. But verse 21 says, the verse preceding that says, Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, when it says that, it's, it's talking about husbands are to submit to their wives as well. Wives are to submit to their husbands. And you see that picture throughout the Scripture. It actually, Paul told, told uh, us in Corinthians, he said that, you know, he, he even was talking about the physical body. He said a woman's body doesn't belong to her, but it belongs to her husband. He said the husband's body doesn't belong to, to him, but it belongs to his wife. You, you, you see that same uh, continuity throughout the Scripture when Paul's addressing uh, these subjects. And so... You know, who is to submit and to whom are we to submit? Well, they're, they're both to submit. It's not just the wife submitting to the husband, but it's the husband also submitting to the wife, the wife submitting to the husband. And I want to tell you, this is one of the major keys of marriage. If you don't have, and my whole target today is not marriage, but, but if you don't submit to one another, you, you're not, you, not going to have the marriage that God intended you to have. Because what I'm, what I'm going to unfold for you, I hope that you see this, is submission, not control, is an, is an attribute of the very nature of God himself. Um, you know, if, if you really want to know. See, when, when Paul said submit to one another in the fear of God, I hope you know the scripture well enough that the word fear there does not mean you're afraid that God's going to bash you in the head with a stick kind of deal. The word fear, translated fear, is the word awe or reverence. So Paul is saying in this context that, I, that you should submit to one another in the awe or the reverence of you seeing how God does. Now, now, if you really want to know what submission looks like, what submission really is, then you only have to look to the wonderful union that's in the Godhead. 
When, when you look at the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, then what you're going to see there is mutual submission to one another without absorption of the other. You know, and, and, and we were talking in our leaders meeting yesterday, and I'm going to, you know, in a, in a week or two or whenever I feel that it, time is right, I'm, I'm going I'm to devote a whole service just to preaching on the Trinity. Uh, because we, we just, most of us, you know, and I've, I've referred to it, I've talked about it, but, but that is such a key for us to being able to, to, to experience what God intends us to experience because God is a relational God. He is a relational God, and everything about God is relationship, and, that's, and that's, that's how it starts out in the garden. God's coming. He's in relationship with Adam and Eve. It's all about the relationship, and what sin does is it damages, it robs that. That's why Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost, and that that was lost was that, with that intimate communion and fellowship and relationship with God the Father and, and with, the, with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, and and we, we, we have to, and a lot of people just don't understand the Trinity, and, 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 and I know it's not something necessarily to be understood, but I asked them in the meeting yesterday, and I'll just give you a little blurb of what's, what we're going to talk about in the future. But I said, in the, in the garden, you know, when, when you had Adam and Eve in the garden, let's just say even before sin, God would come and walk in the cool of the evening. Is that scriptural? But I, I said, how many, you know, how many people do you see in the garden? When you, when you visualize that, that occurrence, when you visualize God coming and walking in, in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve, how many people do you see? You don't have to answer, but how many people do you see? Now, I would be honest to you and say that my theological history has always been, I, I saw three people. I saw God, singular, by himself, so to speak, coming and walking with Adam and Eve. That's not the picture at all. Because God's not singular. That's the whole deal of the Trinity. God is three distinct people. He's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God is God in all three aspects, yet he's one. So one plus one plus one equals one. And you go, well, it, that doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to. See, that's what makes the Trinity so unique because we don't have an example of it on earth. We don't have an example of it in the universe other than God himself. And that's what it means for God to be holy. It means God is separate, distinct. There's no one like God. What we've done is tied the, the expression of holiness. We've done with holiness what the church has done with all the other words of the Bible. We've redefined them based on our experiences or, or our traumas or whatever, or whatever, or our sin. And so now when people, you know, I told you, I was talking about a guy I saw God this past week, you know, post on his Facebook. You know, he says, you know, you, you preach or you can preach what you want to, but this is the, what the Bible says. Without holiness, no man shall see God. Well, I mean, I don't even know the guy, but I know that's coming from a legalistic heart. He's saying you got to live holy enough or you ain't going to heaven. I used to have, when I pastored Cornerstone, I had this guy, and I love the guy, and he's with the Lord now, and uh, probably just got cleared up on this tidbit. And I love him, and he would have, and, and, and I used to chime in with him, but he would, his little saying was, he, you know, he had this little saying, he would always say, it's wholeness or hell, brother. Wholeness or hell. That was his favorite. And when he was just known for that. He'd say about church, hey, it's, it's wholeness or hell, you know. And, and, and he meant that you had to live to a certain standard. But of whose standard of holiness is it? 
It's usually some man or denomination or church structure that sets the standard of holiness, and it varies from place to place what they consider to be holy. Let me ask you this, you know, and they normally tie holiness, like I said, with the sin. But let me ask you this. Think about this. Was God holy before there was sin? Man, y'all answered that quick. I didn't think y'all would be that quick. So before sin existed, was God holy? Yeah. So that means that sin has absolutely zero to do with holiness. Think about it. Nothing to do with it. Holiness is about God. The Bible says when you're born again in Ephesians 4, it says that, 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 that you receive true holiness, true righteousness. And, and you were created that way when you were born again. Whose holiness did you get? God's. Whose righteousness did you get gifted to you? As Paul explained in Romans, you, you, you received God's. And, and so, so if you want to really understand the submission, you, you have to see that the, the submission that comes through the Trinity. The Bible says, like in 1 John, it says, there are three in, three in heaven that bear witness. It says the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. And those three agree, it says. How many did it say there is in heaven? There's three. And it's the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. Now, the thing that we need to dismantle is that God is this old man, this angry, vindictive, punitive God, this distant God, this God that really can't hardly stand to look at you, don't really, you know, he says he loves you, but he don't like you. That God, you know, that God that pays you back, that God that's making you reap what you sow, that God that's being vindictive, that God that gives people cancer trying to teach them lessons, that God that breaks people's legs, puts them in the hospital so they can hear his voice and get saved. You know, the Godfather, that God. And then they see Jesus as the kindly, gentle son who comes along, like he just didn't exist before, he comes along, and he basically spends his life putting his hands into the chest of this angry God and trying to appease his anger and trying to get God not to kill everybody. And then we have the Holy Spirit that we just don't know much about. Uh, we just mainly refer to him as a bird, as a dove. Or the Pentecostals will say he's this or he's tongues or he's gifts. But he's God. And he's, he's equally God. And, there's, and it's not God, uh, the Father, number one. And then in the second chair is Jesus. He's a little bit lower than the Father. And then in the third little chair is the bird sitting there on the perch, the Holy Ghost. I'm just letting that sink in. That's most people's view of the Trinity. Really. If they just, or they don't even have a view. Or they don't see the uniqueness. And so what we see is, is we, see, we see God the Son in this relationship, this submission to one another. We see God the Son submitting in all things, he says, to his Father. Uh, he said, I don't do anything that the Father, that I don't see the Father doing. And he said, I don't say anything that I don't hear the Father say. That he's submitting to the Father, yet he's God and he's equal with God. Because he is God. And, and yet then we see the Father who publicly declares and broadcasts uh, several times, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He did it again on the Mount of Transfiguration with just three of his disciples. He said, this is my Son, hear ye him. 
In other words, be quiet, Peter, and listen to him. Listen to my son. Uh, we, we see the son, Jesus, bragging about the Holy Spirit and, and, and talking about the Holy Spirit in such a, a beautiful way and saying that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will not speak of himself, but he will testify of me. And, and, we, and we don't see any jealousy. We don't see any strife. We don't see any competition. We don't see any one-upping, or we don't, see, we don't see any of those things. And so when Paul says that we're to submit to one another in the awe of the Lord, he's saying, look at how the submission works with the Trinity. And if you will submit in that way, that's, you know, because that's part of who, in other words, submission is the very essence of Listen to this term, other-focused love. Now, a lot of people think God is a narcissist, that he's narcissistic, that he is all about him. In other words, he loves himself so much that you ought to love him too. And that it's all about God. And, and if you don't see the Trinity as three distinct, separate, yet one aspects of God, then there can be no possibility of submission and fellowship and relationship. But if you see the Trinity as, as three that are one, and you see the mutual submission and the, the love and the, the joy and, and that that God has invited and actually made us part of, to be in, included in that. And that's why the other Sunday, you know, a month ago when I did the thing showing you the, with the chairs, the picture of the Trinity, that you have a place that, that you are included in that. Because, and you say, well, how, how am I included? You just have to read 1 John, John 1. All, thing, all things that are, exist only exist because he made them. That includes you. He, he says again that, that everything that was made was made by him and for him, and without him there was nothing that was made that was made, Colossians chapter 1. And, and it says everything that he made has its existence. It's, it's continuing to function because of him. That's why it's ridiculous. If God ever really withdrew himself from humanity, you, would, you wouldn't even exist. You, could, you wouldn't even exist. Paul said it this way. We live, move, and have our being by him. Paul had to rethink all of his religion of the Judaism. That's why it took that Damascus Road thing for him. I mean, he had to have a radical encounter with this one called Jesus. And, and, and it changed his whole, whole view. But, you know, I was telling him yesterday, it'd be like this. It'd be like a mom and dad, you know, and they take their kid, and the kid's, you know, got a bicycle that they, they, they bought, and, and, and the, you know, they, the, the bicycle's got training wheels, but, you know, the kid's old enough to ride, you know, without them, but he, he's never learning. So they take the training wheels off, and, and Dad said, I'm going to help you, son, and, man, we're going to get you to ride this bike and this brand-new shiny bike. We love you so much, and that's why me and Mama bought you the bicycle. And uh, we just want you to, to, to have this bike. And so Dad's, you know, running along and pushing, and, and you know, and, and the Mom's cheering on and, 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 you know, ride the bike, and, you know, and he falls a few times. they got a good soft place where he can learn, and, you know, he finally gets, the, gets it down. And then once he can balance himself and ride the bike, you know, he, you know, his dad, you know, like, make the circle, man, right around the block. So he makes the circle, comes back home, and dad said, listen, son, we love you so much. And that's why, you know, we're demonstrating that love by giving you this bike. That's why we gave you this bike. 
Now, what we want you to do is we want your life and every time you ride that bike to be a testimony of how much we love you. And we want you to give testimony of our love and share how much we love you and show the people why we love you. And you ride that bike now for our glory and for our honor because we, we did this for you. And now you repay that back and, and you, you, you know, anybody's starting to that bother you a little bit right in that section? But that's how people view God. What I just said, that's the whole view of a lot of people of God. You've been saved to serve. You ever seen that? Saved to serve. You're not saved to serve. And if you were saved to serve, then you should just get bumped off because you ain't serving too good. I told you I remember when my kids were small, I mean, they was middle school or something, and we lived out when we lived out on the farm. And, you know, there's work if you live, you know, we had 30 or 40 acres, you know, different, and we had cows and stuff. And I, I don't remember what I was doing. I said, go do, you know, go do something. And I, it was, I forget which one of them it was. One of my boys said, just was just, you know, showing out and said, the only reason you had us is for us to work. <laughs> and I just remember that day, it just hit my mind. And I, you know, I didn't want to like choke them or nothing, but I, <laughs> I actually started laughing. And we stand out in the yard and he told me, the only reason you had me is to work. I said, man, you understand how much money I have? You ain't got a clue how much money I've spent on you. I mean, you're getting like about $500 an hour is what I've spent on your butt. So I can get somebody a lot cheaper than you if I need somebody to work. I didn't have you for you to work. Now get your butt to the barn and do what I told you. You know what I'm saying? But it's ridiculous. God saved you because he loves you, not so you could serve him. I told him yesterday, I thought one time God had saved me, you know, and the, my ultimate reason for my salvation was so I could be a preacher for him. You know, and my whole thing was that I was to, to preach for him and see souls saved and be sacrificial and, and, you know, in some aspect in my mind to be a martyr and all. It's just ridiculous. And I remember I, I was telling him I, I didn't make it to, a, I couldn't go to a revival that I was scheduled. In the first six years I was officially ordained in ministry, I, I traveled and evangelized in different churches. And, and there was a church right there close, and I was, I was booked to, had been booked for months to be there. And th as the revival approached, I was so sick, I couldn't go. And that hadn't happened to me before. I was young now, so have mercy on me, okay? I was in my late 20s. But I, I just, I did, you know, so I'm upset. I'm too sick physically to even go preach the revival. Uh, I'm upset with God. I know you never have been, but I've been a couple of times. And I, I was in my prayer room, but I wasn't praying, I was fussing. And I was telling God, and I started out with this most stupid statement that what a human can make, God, I don't understand you. God, I don't understand you. You're not going to understand God, because if you could understand God fully, you'd be God. And I just want to tell you that you're not. And I'm not. And I said, I don't understand you. And I said, I don't see how there's anything good coming out of this. And I asked you to heal me, and you didn't heal me. And, and, and so now I'm laying in here on the floor, and I'm sick. Uh, the revival shut down. They were looking forward to me coming. Ain't nobody getting saved. Ain't nobody getting healed. Gospel ain't being preached. I don't see where no good's coming out of this at all. And I was just letting him hold it. And uh, enumerating all the reasons why that he didn't do his job. Therefore, I couldn't do mine. And I will never forget that moment in my life. It's one of those rare moments. But when I got through, I heard the Lord's voice so clear. I heard it. I wasn't asking him for him to talk. I didn't expect him to because most of the time he don't say much. But I heard this in my heart. 
the workman is more important than the work. Now, for my martyr syndrome mind, servant mind back then, that was a shocking revelation to me. And God let me know in that little quick statement that you, son, is what is important to me, not you preaching for me. That, that, and, it, and, it, and it began to slowly shift my paradigm into thinking differently about my life, my ministry. Because up to that point, I actually in some sick way took pride in leaving my little kids standing. I remember seeing them physically. I'm not making this up. Seeing, you know, like Justin stand at the little window, you know, with tears. Didn't want me, daddy to leave to go preach revival somewhere and me drive off. You know, and it was still, it would hurt my heart to leave. But I was, I was kind of like in, in, a, in a kind of a weird, sick, religious way. I was being a martyr. I was sacrificing for God. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying... It was, a, it was a weird way of viewing God. And, and that's, that's not why God saved you. Uh, God saved you so you could enter into that communion relational relationship that he has with Father, Son, and Spirit. And so I, I want to ask you this. I want you to, okay, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. It's going to be real familiar to you when I read it. But, but Jesus, he says, he says, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. What do we call that in the natural world, in the, our Vernacular, the golden what? Do unto others as you'd have them do to you. Uh, you don't have to answer this, but I'm, I'm, okay. So God, Jesus said that. Jesus is God, right? He said that. Does that scripture apply to him? Is that just an arbitrary command to humans, or does that scripture, does that also apply to God who's giving the, the command? Even God? Yeah. Ephesians 4.32 says, and this is ultimately the Spirit, God, talking. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Does that scripture apply to God? So God is to be kind. You act like you don't know what to say on this. I'm going to give you some time. It's not a trick question. Do you expect God, the one you pray to, submit to, that you just got through worshiping in song, do you expect him to be kind to you? Okay. Just want to be sure. Do you expect God to be tenderhearted? Do you expect God to forgive? Because God has forgave. Yet a lot of the churches run around saying, God hadn't forgive you because you hadn't done the right things yet. So that means God is holding unforgiveness in his heart against people until they do the right thing. Which negates the prophecy of John pointing at the Christ and saying, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. And so they're saying he didn't take it away. He only took part of it away. It negates the, and, and, and says that Jesus, when he was on the cross and said it is finished, he was lying because it really is not finished. It was mostly finished, but there's still some unfinished business to do. What about the commands about submission? Does submission belong to God? Are we to submit to God? But does God submit to us? Man, y'all are doing good. I never thought really that y'all would answer that that quick. I must be a good pastor. 
I must be doing a good job. Really, I didn't expect you to go. I didn't expect you to ignore that one. And you and, and I know when you think about God submitting to us, that's hard pill for some people to swallow. And 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 but I want to tell you these verses that I just read, and I could read many, many more. These verses are actually expressions of God's very own nature. In other words, when God made his entrance into the earth as Jesus in Bethlehem, he was born in a manger with the smell of animal manure in the air, and he was laid in a feeding trough by design. That's why the religious crowd never even bothered to check it out to see if it was God. Because they, in their wildest imagination, never believed or could conceive of a God that humble. <laughs> Humility is an attribute of God, and God was not putting on a religious, pious display or show when he was born in a manger. God is, did that because that's who God is. Humility is an aspect of God. Therefore, it should be an aspect of us, children of God. And so submission, uh, all, all these things, th those things originate in the very being of God himself. They're, they're not add-ons. They're not optional things. Now, if you don't believe that God is primarily a relational God from the Trinity, our view of the Trinity again, and if you don't believe that that, that mutual, if you don't believe that God is primarily relational, which I didn't to start with, then I thought God cared more about my moralistic life. In other words, what I did or didn't do. In other words, morals meant more to God than relationship. I saw morals as primary, but relationship as secondary or not essential. I saw the moral aspect of being a Christian as primary, but the relational aspect is non-essential, really. So that means and leads me to conclude that God cares more about what I do or don't do than he does about me, the person. And that's a really sick way to live. When you think God cares more your, about your behavior than he does the person. And that's why I always had a problem because, you know, because I could not match or meet that moralistic grid that God has in the scripture and I failed and come short so many times. Therefore I felt that God was always angry and or displeased with me and never really fully embracing me and which kept me away from that intimacy and that relationship with God and that enjoyment of that relationship with God that I should have been enjoying the whole time, which is why grace is so important because grace has blowed all of those lives away and has opened me up that how much, and this the songs that they sung today. The song, all, there's about the grace of God that I'm accepted, I'm adopted, I'm beloved. And, and so God is relational and because God is relational, therefore uh, he, he submits uh, because it's part of who he is and, 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 and he actually submits to us. Now, the, you know, somebody, well, God's sovereign. He don't submit to no human. The sovereignty of God is not about deterministic control. That's why that whole thing is so important to me that you don't buy in and believe the lie that God is in control of everything that happens in this earth because he's not. And God does not rule by force, nor does he rule by control. Everything God does is based on relationship. 
And so I remember when we brought our first child home, which was Justin. He was on the drums today as my oldest. And so when we brought him home, uh, you know, Jill and I, in our home at that time, we're sovereign. We're the sovereign rulers of our home until Justin got there. And, and as soon as he got there, we lost any sense of our sovereignty or control. Even though we're powerful, more wise at that moment, and sovereign, we submitted to him. He decided how much we slept, when we slept, how we slept. He decided when we woke up. He decided when he was to eat. It didn't matter if it wasn't 12 noon. If he wanted to eat, he got to eat. And we submitted to his request. He decided if you was in a restaurant somewhere and trying to eat with him present, that he decided that he would fill up his diaper and you had to exit the table. We submitted to him. We submitted to him, and even though we're sovereign. Do you, do you see that? So, so God submits to us. Well, how does God submit to you? Well, you decide when you're going to pray, right? I mean, so you can pray anytime and you expect God to be there and hear you. And God submits to your prayer time. God submitted to us today because we wanted God to be involved in all this, right? I mean, we decided somewhere in the past that we were going to start church here at Grace Point at 10.30 a.m. Well, what if God don't show up to 11? We just wasted 30 minutes. I thought 11 was church time. And oh, God, and I remember many years ago when I was in ministry, I, I changed our church time when I first started out. And we was at Sunday school at 10, church at 11, Sunday night at 6, Bible. I mean, intercessory prayer on Tuesday night, Bible study Wednesday night. I mean, that, that was us. That was me. And I did all that, and I was lining up with everybody else, and they still called me a cult. But my cult, my cult fame didn't go off the chart until I changed the service time because I felt that God asked me to, to Sunday afternoons at 3 o'clock. Because I had prayed a dumb prayer. I told God, I said, God, I'm so hungry for whatever you want me to do, and I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll do it any way you want me to do it. And I'd been going for a year or so. And uh, this was about 92, 93. And I heard the Lord just say to me, why are you doing what you're doing the way you're doing it? I had never thought about that. He said, I want you to go to one service, 3 o'clock Sunday afternoons. I said, well, you got to give me some Bible for that. Now, I'm going to have a chapter and verse on that. Because I know a bunch of folk, that's right in the middle of their nap time. And me personally, I don't like to be, I don't want to be going to church in the middle of the afternoon. And then I started looking in the scriptures and I saw that all kinds of scriptures confirmed that God, three o'clock is a real special time for God in the afternoon. In fact, it's the time Jesus drew his last breath on the cross. It's the time that Peter and John in the book of Acts were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which is three o'clock in the afternoon. And there the lame man was laid at the gate called Beautiful. And I started seeing all these, after 3 o'clock was the time of the evening sacrifice of the Passover lamb. And I had all kind of Bible. I didn't have one verse for 11 o'clock. Not one. I didn't even have a verse for 10, 10, 30. I had no verses for it. And yet when I changed to a kind of a biblical pattern at 3, 
I had people just say, he's a cult. He's hooked up with David Koresh out of Waco. Because they were just unheard of in Cook County that I could have church at three. Well, God submitted, and I want to tell you, he showed up. Now, me personally, in my flesh, I didn't like that. We did it for, I don't know, a couple years. Why did God do that to you? I don't know. Maybe it was just him breaking all that tradition junk out of me. Maybe I wrote a check with my mouth that he required me to cash. I told him I'd do anything. They were like, my God, you shut down Sunday school? I was like, where's that at in the Bible, though? You know, it don't say in the Bible, thou shalt have Sunday school. Are you against Sunday school? No. No. I'm not against it. Just because I don't do it don't mean I'm against it. I mean, one time we had a, what we called an Acts 1919 party. I was doing some weird stuff, I guess. And, but we had people that, if they had junk that they didn't want to have in their house, like, you know, certain magazines or Ouija boards or all that kind of stuff, they could bring them to the church. And, uh, and, and, and you know, we was going to have a, like they did in Acts 19, and they brought all their, their stuff, you know. Paul had them bring it all, and they, all, they burned it, you know. It was in the Bible. So I thought, well, we got a good Bible for it. Let's do it. So, we, man, I couldn't believe how much stuff our church brought. They had it piled up. Now, we covered it with a blanket just because some of it needed to be covered with a blanket. <laughs> and we had people brought stuff that probably shouldn't have been brought as far as I was concerned, but, you know, just good old country music or just certain music, stuff like that. And I think all of them, you know, they, they had, you know, got enthused about it. So they brought, so we had all these drums out there. And so we went out, left out the building, went out there on Sunday at church, and we burned all that stuff. And people could just throw their own stuff that they wanted to in the barrel. We, it wasn't nothing legalistic about it, just burn it, whatever, you know. And we just kind of, you know, paved in a new path here like Paul, like they did. Well, some people rode by and saw the church gathered out there with burning barrels. And, and the, the, the news spread all through the town that I had the church cleaning yards and burning leaves on Sunday. And we was doing our property. Many of our people that burnt, you know, their Dolly Parton album and stuff, they went back to the store and bought some more, you know, after a while because <laughs> they got the missing Dolly and stuff. And, and it wasn't about that. I remember my daddy said one time when he was raised and my granddad was a holiness Baptist preacher and they didn't believe in having TVs. That's how strict they were. And, and way back in the day in the 50s, you know, there were 60s, they, in the early 60s, they had a revival. You know, this guy told me they should throw if they had a TV in their house, you know. And back those days, everybody had those antennas, you know, big antennas. Anybody old enough to remember that stuff? And, and that preacher, my, my daddy said that preacher preached that that was, you could always tell where the devil lived because his horns was in there, you know, at, at people's houses. So if you had, they rode by and you saw an antenna, they knew the devil lived there, and that's his horns. And so they had a big hole in this revival, so all the people, you know, they gathered up the TVs and went to the bridge over the river and throwed the TVs in the river. And, uh, and I remember Daddy just being a young, young person. He said, you know, uh, wasn't even just weeks later, they were back down at the stores, you know, buying TVs again because <laughs> they couldn't make it without TV. They done got used to it, you know. Had, how many knows how silly all that is? That's, that's not what it is at all. But God does submit to us. And he submits to our church time. He sits to the time we meet. And so God, God does not come to me when I'm about to make a decision and say, you know what, just step aside, Dale. I'm going to take over now, and I'm going to do this one totally without you because you have made so many dumb choices in the past. I'm going to do this one. Does God ever talk to you like that or do that? No, he's not going to do that. You know what God does? God submits to my decision, even if it's a stupid one. He submits to the decision I make, but let me tell you what he does. He climbs into the mess right with me. 
And, and he begins to work something useful and good even out of my most stupid blunders. That's the God I know. Now, let me tell you, listen to this statement. Love does not protect me from the consequences of my choices. God is love. Love does not protect me from the consequences of my choices. God does not will your pain. God does not the author of your pain. But God is the author of your freedom and your free will. And he will not violate that. And you get to choose to live your life. And you can love him and accept him and, and, and walk into him and, and pray. And I pray you do. Or you can reject him. As many as received him, to them he gave the power to be the sons of God. Their eyes were open to this. And, but, but love doesn't protect me from the consequences of my choices. But listen to me. But, but it also does not abandon me once I make them. And I don't know how many times people, you know, well, I, you know, you, you know, I don't know about this. I wouldn't do this. Oh, you might not need to marry that person. You might not. And then just do it anyway. And God doesn't abandon you. God's not in the abandonment business. God doesn't abandon you, and God doesn't leave you. And, and so, so, and listen to this. This is where these stupid testimonies come from. God's presence in the midst of our stupidity does not justify any of it. God's presence in the midst of my stupidity, my bad decision, just because God. See, I, I had, I had a, a, a minister years ago, a long time ago, but anyway. It doesn't matter who it is, but I just it happened to be a minister, he, and, and, and he was unfaithful to, to, to you know, with his, uh, somebody on staff there. Blowed the church all to pieces, you can imagine this, uh, I, I, you know, they show, I'm beginning marriage counseling when he and his wife, you know, first off, we're going to try to see if she's even going to even attempt to make the run, you know, be reconciled. And, and I, and I, you know, got in there and, and which, by the way, personally, I hate getting into all that. You get in between two people that's angry with one another. You're going to get hit a few times yourself, okay? And so I submit to, the, to, to them, to their mess, and I'm doing marriage counseling. And I'd known them for many, many years and uh, been around them for many years. And then so I'm looking out the window. I'm waiting at this particular church where we were meeting, and I was waiting in the office, and I watched them pull in. They got out of the vehicle. Uh, they got out, and they held hands. I had never seen them hold hands. This is after the tragedy. Uh, the, the, so they would hold hands, come in, sit by one another, hold hands the whole time that we do marriage counseling, which is great. That's cool. Appreciate it. Wonderful. And I would do marriage counseling just with the guy by himself, and then I had somebody else to do some with just the lady by herself at, at certain times. I remember I was talking to the guy one day, and this is what he said to me. He said, you know what, Pastor? He said, I, I think God was in all this. God was in all this because he said, my marriage is better now than it's ever been ever. <clears throat> and I said, wait a minute, bro. I, I, wait a minute now. And, and make sure I understand your thinking on this. Because your marriage is better now, God was in you committing adultery with one of your staff members. You're, is that what you're telling me? Well, I do believe that God was in it. I said, so God was, I just want to make it clear to him. But I said, so God was in you hanging your britches on her bedpost. Is that what you, now I got, I can't get real like I did. I said, and you, I went on and told him what he would, you know, what it looked like. And I said, I just want to be sure that all that picture that, you know, God was in all that. Well, I'm not, no, that's what you're saying, man. 
I'm just trying to say to you guys, just because God shows up in the middle of your mess and, and the results are better doesn't mean God was behind your decision to do the mess, okay? And that will eliminate a lot of stupid testimonies. God don't want you to do the things that hurt you, put you in a hospital. You know, God don't, God don't want you to do any of that. Like I told you, I, you know, God said, I broke every bone in my body, you know, and God did that. Now, he said, I want to be clear, God didn't do it to me, but he did it for me. But so you're, but you're still saying God broke every bone in your body. I, I was looking at the news this morning, sitting on the back porch, drinking a cup of coffee, and just flipping through the, the news on Facebook, and it had a picture, and I didn't even read the articles because it, it was, you know, but, you know, the article said uh, this certain, I guess it's a famous uh, uh, person, young lady, said God gave me herpes and changed my life. Oh, so God gives herpes now. I mean, it was on the news today. You look at your Facebook news feed and see if it ain't out. Don't do it now. <laughs> Thought somebody reached you for their phone. <laughs> oh, no, hold up. There'll be time this afternoon, brother. Uh, it's ridiculous, but that's people's view of God. That's people's view of God because it changed, you know, the little, the, the little subtitle on the article, it changed her life for the better because once she got this disease, then it made her reevaluate how she was living. Blah. God ain't in that. God can't give you herpes because he don't have it. <laughs> Only way God can give you herpes is he has it. God can't give you cancer because God don't have cancer. God cannot give you anything other than himself. And if, if God's given it, it means because God has it. It's an essence of him. God don't give cancer because he don't have cancer. Amen? Now, the incarnation God becoming flesh is absolute submission to man, to flesh, to Adam. In other words, God becomes in Adam and, 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 and took, takes upon the, the John 1, 14, the word become flesh. The cross. Now, I know you think the cross was all God's idea. That's going to shock you. But the cross is God submitting to the anger, to the wrath, and the rage of man. What, what about God himself taking a towel, a towel, walking into a room full of male egos and people with agendas, stooping down to each one of them individually, all 12 of them, even to one who is about to sell him out and betray him and washes their feet individually and removes the filthy dust of the day to expose a, a, a clean feet that were designed to walk in holiness before the Lord. Is, is that not submission? Well, I, I, let me end with this. I, I, know, I know a man, personally, who daily now, who daily now, minute by minute, hour by hour, submits to his wife. It's beautiful. She has cancer. She's my mother-in-law. He willingly and lovingly submits to her frailty, to her needs. I've been there, I watched it. And she submits to his care. He's her caregiver. I've watched him submit to doing stuff that 
his old rough construction superintendent life man that he is, Texan, tough, cleans dishes, cooks meals, does laundry. He submits. There's something much greater than power and control, and it's the dance of mutual submission and love. And it takes most of us a lifetime to learn how to do it as naturally as we should. It is a birth of the Holy Spirit in us, and it is submission, and it is, it is the most wonderful thing in the universe because it is an attribute and the nature of God himself. And God is willing, because of relationship, to walk into that. Now, in the morning, Lord willing, <laughs> my wife and I are climbing my truck, and we're going to bust out for Texas to see that mother-in-law. Now, I will be back uh, before I'll be here for Sunday, next Sunday. Not because I think church collapses without my presence, but I don't want to miss seeing you and being here. I really don't. So I'll drive that 13 and a half hours back so I can be here to be with you. So you be here next Sunday to be with me. But that's how much I think about you. I told church yesterday, I, I said I needed to ask the church to forgive me. So I ask it to all of you. I ask you to forgive me for ever allowing the influence of the COVID and all those things, and even my past pastoral experiences to keep me in my office until right church time or as the, time, as the first song starts. You won't ever see me do that again. Uh -uh. You won't ever see me do that again, and I ask you to forgive me for doing it anytime. When I was at Cornerstone, I had some, we was on TV. I was on TV for six years. One thing I found out as an ignorant person, and I didn't want to be on TV. I didn't come up with an idea and say, hey, elders, put me on TV. I didn't want to be on TV. I honestly didn't. My wife knows that. I had some elders that just wanted us to do it and just felt like it was God and we got to do it. And we had, had the money, you know, to do it. And we, you know, and I said, we're gonna, if we're going to do it, we ain't going to look like we got in there with a home cam machine, you know. We're going to do it professional. We've got to be at the same level. You know, people that's going to do it for real. And so we did it. Uh, and we did a 30-minute program every Sunday morning. And I was on in, in uh, we was on Channel 10 out of Albany. I was on uh, Channel 44 UPN network that originated at one point out of Valdosta. I was on in Savannah on the UPN network. We had churches in Savannah that I gave oversight to. We was on in Atlanta for a while. We was on in Dallas, Texas for one year. The Metroplex, we was on in different places because... Justin handled all that, and we'd have these brokers, and they would say, hey, Pastor Dale, we can put you on here. And I never asked anybody for any money to be on TV. I didn't ever sell any snake oil or prayer claws or, or you know, something that I had touched, you know, so they could give. And I never got on TV and said, if you don't give by next week, we'll be off. Because when I hear that, I want to say, I'll make you off now. What our church did is we took 10% of our resources and we gave it away in missions. And out of that, at time, and I don't mean just bragging, but I mean where the possibility exists that we could do. We, our, our, we would have over $100,000 that we in one year we gave to missions. And part of missions was local American missions. We knew people in Atlanta and Dallas and Savannah can't drive to Sparks to church. 
But we saw that as a mission field to get the gospel in. But what it also did is brought out a lot of nutty folks on me. To the point sometimes I'd have death threats, we'd have drunks and high people calling the office and trying to help me theologically, you know, show me, point out my errors. Uh, we had all kind of weird stuff happen. We, I had people, I had like, witches come to my church, Wicca witches. I guess those were official, you know, because I've had one of them call my house. I told you that story one time. She called my house one Sunday night, and she wanted me to meet her at the motel, and she wanted to be delivered of her wickedness. See how I did that? She said, I'm a witch with Wicca, and I want you to come and, and pray for me to be delivered. And it was like 10 o'clock, something, you know, I remember. And I said, I, I, can't, I'm not come, I can't come tonight. I said, you come to the church tomorrow, and I'll, I'll be glad to meet with you and pray with you. Well, she just began to curse. You know, just started cursing me, and not only cursing me with curse words, but cursing my family. She started pronouncing curses on me because I wouldn't come to the motel. And, I, and she just don't know my wife. My wife is not going to let me meet you at a motel if you're a woman at 10 o'clock at night. I mean, she's just not like that. And so I said, you know, and she said, well, you, you should come when I call you. I said, well, how long have you been a witch? And she told me how many years. I said, well, you've had them this long. You can hold them until the morning. <laughs> They'll still be there. I can cast them out in the a.m. just like I can in the p.m. So she just began to curse me. And I don't know why that night. Maybe, I don't know. I was just weird. But when, I don't know, it just hit me. I just, I think it was God. I just started laughing. I just couldn't, I just, like an uncontrollable, just burst into laughter. Which that really made her mad. But I burst into laughter, and I just, <laughs> I just started laughing. She would just pronounce, I curse your family. I curse your kids with disease. I, you know, and I just bust out, started laughing. And, and uh, I, I just laughing loud. And she, she said, why are you laughing? And I said, because you're not very good at this. She said, what do you mean I'm not good at this? I said, if you knew my God, you would know that every curse he turns into a blessing. And I said, all you're really doing is blessing me. I said, so thank you. She hung up. She didn't show up the next morning. But you don't have to be afraid of that. Greater is he that's within you than he that's in this world. And, 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 and your key to having power over the enemy, submit unto God, resist the devil. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And I'm, and I'm talking about these, those fiery darts, those suggestions, those thoughts that you're less than, you're not this, you're not, you, you don't have to submit yourself to those things. And I, so I remember when we was on TV, I'd have a witch, I, this lady would show up, Jill would remember, and Pastor Keith probably remember, but she would show up, she wore this big hat, but she would come and put roots and all kind of stuff in the church, you know, like to curse me, and all that kind of stuff. And we dealt with all kinds of stuff. And, it, and based on that kind of stuff, I, you know, my staff and all, I got where I didn't come into the service until it done, you know, as soon as it first started, I'd hear it starting and I'd come in. And that way it kind of kept me from getting accosted by those folks. And so I kind of let that kind of develop a culture in me. And then COVID hits, you know, a couple of years ago and we don't want to spread nothing. And, and I'm not denying all that. But I'm just saying to you that, I told, I mean, a month or two ago, it was in my heart. I began to talk to Johanna about it. I said, I want this church to be family in a for real. And, and, I, and I can't help it, and I'm glad, and I don't want to help it. And to me, it's a, it's a boasting in the Lord that we are multicultural, multi-ethnic, diverse 
church. And that is to always, my wife knows that has always been my, my vision and the dream of my heart from the day I started preaching the gospel. And, 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 and this church is a reflection of that, of that heart. And I've never targeted people. I've never said, you know, I want this person or that person or this person or give me that lawyer, give me that doctor. You know, and I've had, I've had, and I, whatever. I've had lawyers and doctors in my churches. I had two lawyers at Cornerstone. I had two doctors, medical doctors, and I loved all of them dearly. But, but I, I, you know, I didn't go out and say, I need me some lawyers and doctors. Some people say, well, we got, you know, listen, God, the Lord said, God said, I will, Jesus said, I'll build my church. He didn't tell me to build. He said he'd build it. And I love the diversity that this church has. And so what I made up my mind is one thing that I don't want us to be is just knowing the back of the head of each other. And COVID aside, I'm coming in this congregation. If you're sitting here before service starts, I'm being coming to you. And you done seen that. Now, if you don't like it, just if you want me to touch you, just put your hands up like that, and I'll know that's the signal. <laughs> just give me the signal, and I'll veer off. And I, you know, I, and I got some discernment. I know whether, you know, I can kind of discern somebody. I'm a hugger by nature. I, I can kind of discern, though, if you're not a hugger, and that's okay. I'll high-five you. I'll fist bump you. I'll elbow bump you. That, whatever your deal is, I just want you to know we love you. You're welcome here. We, 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 we want you here. We're we, we not going to take an evaluation of your checkbook. We, we, we want you to get the revelation of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus and that his grace is forever changing your and my life. Stand to your feet, please. Amen. Come on. So listen, what I need you guys to do is help me. I, I'm just one guy. I can't do so much. I'm just a guy. But, but So all of you do this. I've done this many years ago. So everybody do this. I know your mama told you you ain't supposed to point. But do, you, do your finger like this and everybody point at me. And hold your hand out there. If you ain't playing, I'm going to call you out. All right, everybody's, everybody point at the pastor. Everybody's pointing at the pastor. Now keep your finger pointing at the pastor and look around at all the people pointing at me. See, I'm outnumbered now. See, I'm out. How many fingers are pointing back at you? Yeah, and I know, yeah, I get the three. Yeah. Okay, listen. What I'm saying is, I can't do it by myself. One of the greatest ways that this church is going to continue to grow, and there's a great crowd here, I thank you. But I, is you invite somebody. I've always told you, if you believe in the message that's being preached here and going forward, I mean, you know, there's a lot of ways that they can make their interest in here. Tell them to go to Facebook. Tell them to listen to the message. Tell them about the podcast. So many people have gained interest just by hearing the message of God's grace because they already think they know what it's about. They already think they know what church is about. But, it, it, but a lot of them have bad experiences in that, and they don't know the truth of how much God loves them. Amen? And this amazing God, you know, and when I think about that submission, this amazing God, that would submit. I found out that my marriage, you know, and we've, we've prayed for a lot of people lately that's had difficulty in marriage. And hey, I get it. But just like in, in, our, in our, my marriage, you, you, what makes that wonderful? It's not demeaning, it's submitting to one another. Just, just find a place to submit. Somebody says, you know, Bible says, you know, submit to the, you know, submit to the, uh, submit to God, you know, submit to your husband. 
And she said, as unto the Lord. You know, I had a lady tell me that one time. She said, it says, submit it to my husband as unto the Lord. She said, I would submit if I saw the Lord and my husband, but he's the devil, and I ain't submitting to that. <laughs> That's what she told me. She said, he's the devil, and I ain't supposed to submit to the devil. God told me to submit to God, and I don't see no God in him. Of course, she said that while she was angry. But the problem is she couldn't see God in him. God is in him. But she was focused on just the, the things that was so apparent to her, that pain in that moment. But when we submit to God, God submits to us in our relationship with him. He's always in your mess with you. He don't want your pain. That's what it means to live this life out in a relationship with a relational God who is in relation with the Trinity. And you, 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 you're to be awed by that communion, submission, relationship. And you're to desire to enter into that and then to display that in your marriage, in your life. Amen? So, Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for grace. Thank you for showing and revealing to us the relational communion and submission that you have with Father, Son, and Spirit. Help us to enter into that and see that and experience that and live our lives with you on this journey. We pray that in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. We love you. I'll be down here if you want to pray or talk about anything. Love you. Go enjoy your day.